You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday, October the 31st, wherever you are in the world, happy Halloween, and nothing, I hope, too ghoulish about the next 35 to 40 minutes. We have, however, got some of the most colourful characters in the sport. From Michelle Payne, who made history as the first woman to win the Melbourne Cup, she talks to J.A. McGrath later in the programme, to 61-year-old Patrick Valenzuela, Pival, the man famous for Sunday Silence, and Arazi. Amazingly, he tells me that he is planning yet another comeback. Makes Frankie Dottori look like a spring chicken. Big news here in California, aside from that, concerns the Breeders' Cup Classic favourite, Arcangelo. We spoke to Jenna Antonucci on yesterday's programme. She's unconcerned that the horse has missed two days training with a foot issue. She's taken the shoe off and she is very confident that she can resume training later in the week. She says all the major work is done. We speak to Paul Nichols, British champion jumps trainer, about Brave Man's game, his stable start. Will he or will he not run at Weatherby this weekend? That is to follow. But we start with the big news that broke yesterday, and that is that James Doyle, a man who has held some of the bigger jobs in racing in the UK, a stable jockey to Judmont and then a second jockey to Godolphin, is to leave Sheikh Mohammed's Godolphin operation after nine years to become first jockey for this burgeoning new enterprise, Vathnan Racing the brainchild of the Emir of Qatar, Sheikh Tamim, and the the organisation that is being marshalled by Ollie Tate and Richard Brown. So I put in a call to James Doyle, and here's what he had to say. Oh, it's, it's only come about very recently, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, I think, yeah, it just seemed to kind of make sense, really, from my point of view. I think I'm 35 years of age now, and... I guess I've heard John Gosden say in the past that jockeys, when they're in their mid-30s, is when they're at their peak. And I certainly feel that way. I feel like I'm riding really well. I feel like I've got the experience for for a job like this. And, um, yeah, it's it's an opportunity that I'm relishing. And, honestly, I can't wait to get started next year and, and, and have a sort of stable of my own horses, so to speak. And was that a driving factor, the fact that, you know, you were you were going to be number one. You were the you were the one who who the ownership and the and the management and the the, the global enterprise were, were were going to look to to, to kind of lead, really. Well, I guess I I suppose the main factor has to be um, the the driving force behind Wathman Racing. Um, it's a great great group of people that are are trying to get this. Um, this racing stable off the ground and obviously they couldn't have started any better with horses uh you know two of the three horses winning at royal ascot that's a dream start and um hopefully that's just the beginning of of what's to come so there's great people behind it driving uh driving this forward um so it seems like a a team that i very much want to be a part of but also um absolutely the opportunity to to have a first call on on my own horses so to speak is, is definitely something that 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 i've longed for for, for a long time uh however I, i've had some amazing days with charlie and and his highness sheikh mohammed at Godolphin. it's been it has been in, an incredible time i mean nine years as i've 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 been um with the team and uh i look back with great fond memories obviously there's 
numerous, uh, too many to, to kind of name really. But yeah, it's uh, at the end of the day, you want to be as, as a jockey, as you want to be, a, you want to be a successful jockey. And I think I feel like I've had that in the past in terms of when I was at Judmont and it's not an easy situation to be a second jockey it's made even easier by having a great boss in his highness Sheikh Mohammed but also Charlie Appleby working with Charlie and William day in day out mm. for the last nine years I certainly um, I certainly eased that but uh, yeah looking forward to, to getting back to hopefully what, what I once did before uh, James, uh, yeah, the the list of horses that are being acquired and that have already been acquired by by Watnan is is pretty impressive. Have you got an indication as to the as to the numerical scale of of this operation for twenty twenty four? Well, I, I think that's probably a question for uh, Oliver Tate and Richard Brown. But it it sounds to me, uh, obviously, that was one of my kind of key questions: is where where we're heading with this operation and where we're likely to be in sort of three to five years and it, it, it all I can tell you is it's very positive and and moving very much in the right direction which I think is also great for 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 British racing as well to have to have um racing operations come into it and want to invest heavily and have success and 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 you know look forward to great days at Royal Ascot and all, all these great meetings that 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 really showcase British racing. All right, James Doyle then, 35 years old, feels he's in his prime, now to take the reins as number one jockey to the ever-growing Wathnan Racing. David Yates is newsboy from the Daily Mirror and joins me now from the UK. David, it's hard to believe, isn't it, that we'd never heard of Wathnan Racing in late May yet now it's threatening to become one of the global great racing powers and has signed a jockey absolutely at the peak of his powers. What do you make of it all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, in James Doyle's case, this means that he's played for he's played for most of the big clubs, hasn't he, James? Um, remember the summer of 2013, you, you could describe maybe as, as his breakthrough year, uh, principally through his association with Al-Kazim. Of course, he was riding for Roger Charlton at the time. It's it's something of a half-truth that he almost took a plumbing course, isn't it, uh, prior to that, that he, he felt things weren't going too well. I, I think that it, it irks James when journalists bring that up. But it, as I say, it's it's only half true. He said, well, I did look at it, but I didn't I didn't enrol. Um, and, uh, well, plumbing's loss was certainly horse racing's gain. Uh, he signed up with Khalid Abdullah in August of 2013. And uh, then, of course, he rode Kingman the following year to victories in the Irish Guineas, the St. James's Palace, the Sussex States, the Prijat Le Marois, uh, joined... Godolphin in January 2015, where he had a, a host of successes. Caribus, I suppose, was the most notable of them in, in this country uh, when winning the 2000 Guineas uh, in 2022. Plenty of other high points, the likes of uh, Blue Point, uh, Naval Crown, of course, as well. Uh, latterly, James Doyle has been in... Group one winning action for Aidan O'Brien, of course. Uh, two victories at the top level aboard Warm Heart in late summer in the Yorkshire Oaks and then, of course, in the Pre-Verme. So um, this is a jockey who's been plying his trade at the top level now for a decade. And 
It's it's I think he's a very good choice for Vatnan Racing, as you say. I think you described them as the as the boutique ownership model. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, a few big, weeks. Big big old boutique now, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, it is a big boutique, but I still think that's a very good way of putting it. You know, they're not they're not flooding the race course uh, with runners. I think there have been a, a couple of races in which they've 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 needed the second colours, but you don't see them uh, very often. And you know, even just at the weekend, James Doyle uh, won the the Prospect Stakes at Doncaster. That's a listed race aboard uh, their Ballymount Boy and. You know, that I think there'll be a a really good operation uh, to work for. Obviously, you know that they're they're richly endowed. They're they're serious about the um the the bloodstock that they buy. They're in it for the long term. As as he told you there, he he sought assurances or or just to to talk about what the future would would hold for Vatnan Racing, and he was obviously more than happy with the replies that he received. I think it's a very good move for them. I think that he's a... a personally, I, I like James Doyle. I like dealing with him. I think he is uh, a, a, a top-class jockey. Also, he's very eloquent and and certainly one of those jockeys that you think... Uh, he he thinks about the game. Uh, he I'm sure he delivers eloquent feedback as well. Um, so I, I think this will be a, um, a a very good arrangement for both parties. And uh, I, I certainly wish him well. You know he, he's uh, he's he's been there at the the top level for a decade now, and I'm sure that he'll continue uh, to ply his trade and uh, in the at at, uh, at at that level. And there'll be many more Group Ones to come. I just feel that the the ability to ride as first jockey to an emerging power must be extremely seductive. Um, it's clear from the last few years that James Doyle and, and Will Buick are good friends and that there's been a, a very good team ethic at Godolphin. But when you are riding the second string, sometimes, of course, it comes off the likes of Caribus in the Guineas. I'm pretty sure that Naval Crown uh, was the second string when, when winning at Royal Ascot as well. But most of the time you're riding the second string and you know that it's more likely that the jockey who's on uh, the first is going to win. So the fact that he can now be the first jockey uh, for Vatnan Racing, an emerging power, as you, you've mentioned, the, the the horses that they had in 2023, well, there are going to be plenty more like that next year. And with the pick of the bunch, it's uh, no surprise that James Doyle sees this as a, a wonderful opportunity. And timing's perfect because, as he said, he wants to be number one again. Um, Frankie Dottori, of course, moving to America means that there's big rides, Wathnan rides for John Gosden uh, up for grabs, Karaj Monami and Gregory and, and perhaps more along the way. Uh, plus, um, not forgetting, Aidan O'Brien has used James Doyle now on a few occasions in Group 1 races and, as you said, on warm heart to good effect. And you just wonder whether that's just shunted his stock, which was already pretty high, even higher in the minds of his his new employer. So all the stars have aligned perfectly for James Doyle, now number one rider to Wathnan Racing and leaving Godolphin after a successful nine years. Now we're having to pivot quite adroitly on this podcast this week. We're pivoting again to jump racing and to the Charlie Hall steeplechase that takes place at Weatherby at the weekend, which is the feature in the UK. There's also the big grade one at Down Royal this weekend as well. Uh, where is Paul Nichols going to go with Brave Man's Game, who's currently a very short price favourite? for the Charlie Hall chase. This is the way that Nichols is thinking at the moment. I spoke to him a little earlier on today. 
Well, the grounds, uh, I, I, I'm just thinking it's going to be soft Saturday, looking at the weather forecast. I put him and a pick Dory in. They're both sort of capable of running on that ground. They both work together on Saturday. I'm going to make a decision Wednesday evening and Thursday morning when I've seen both of them school and both of them work on Wednesday morning. Uh, and will, will weather be a deciding factor or not? Or is it just a question of who's readier for the run? I just, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, if I could have a crystal ball and looked in the future and see where the ground might be for the Betfair chase, that would be helpful. But um, yeah, I'm guessing that everywhere's probably going to be the same whatever this year. Um, so we have got the option of the Betfair chase with Bet- uh, Braveman's Games also in the Coral Cup. Um, but um, I... I'm, I'm 50-50. I mean, both horses are well. I'm going to just make a decision on, with Clifford on Wednesday or Thursday after they were obviously before declaration time. Have a chat with the owners and make a plan. But um, I just want to be really sure and, and you know get all the facts together. That was Paul Nichols. This is David Yates once again. David, I know you've spoken to Paul Nichols. I have. I'm getting a strong sense of hold your bets. Do not start steaming into Brave Man's game for the Charlie Hall yet. Well, he's the even money favourite with... The sponsors of the Charlie Hall Chase bet three six five eleven to four a hoist and your seven to two pick Dorhe. Um, certainly, my impression of speaking to the champion trainer was that he, he said that's the way I'm thinking, uh, and the way he's thinking is that the Betfair Chase has been very kind uh, to. Uh, the digit stable over the years when it comes to preparing horses for the King George. Silvini Arco Conti and, of course, Corto Star uh, went from Haydock to score at Kempton. And I think that's the way that he's looking at I think that it, it's obvious that ground is important to Brave Man's game. But one thing Paul Nichols did say was that the way things are going, it's going to be soft everywhere. I think if it was soft at Weatherby this weekend, he would probably hang fire with Brave Man's game and just gamble that it's it's going to be no worse at Haydock on November the 25th. Um, obviously, it's a it's a Grade One race at Haydock. Um, Weatherby is a, a the grade is a Grade Two, the Charlie Hall, and I that's the way that I feel that. He is leaning, as as he told you, both horses are going to work on Wednesday and he'll make a decision from there. But uh, my impression of it, my reading of it from talking to him was that Brave Man's game might well be heading to to Haydock Park on the 25th for, of November for the, uh, the Betfair chase and that it'll be uh, Pick Dorhey who is on duty uh, for uh, Manor Farm Stables at Weatherby this weekend. And it looks as though Mouse Morris will bring over the Irish Challenger Gentleman's Game to Weatherby, which suggests that the same owners, Jerry Colomb and possibly French Dynamite, might be bound for that JN Wines chase at, at Down Royal, the, the grade one there. So if that's a starting point for Jerry Colomb, quite exciting. Yes, that's right. Jerry Colomb is uh, going to go uh, to Down Royal this weekend. Uh, of course, a horse who... Uh, was really exciting over fences last season and you know we look forward to him this year um the uh the victories at the top level at, at Aintree and sat and Sandown and that was of course just with either side of when he failed to reel in uh the real whacker at Cheltenham in the Brown Advisory Novices Chase so yeah much to look forward to and it looks as though uh Jerry Colomb will be going to Down Royal it's 20 years since my first visit to Santa Anita Park for the Breeders' Cup in 2003. In the first race that day, the Breeders' Cup distaff was won by Patrick Valenzuela, P-Val. 
conjuring a little bit of magic from an outsider called Adoration. He made the others dance to his tune and showed himself at his brilliant best. Of course, his career had already been characterised by his rapport with horses such as Sunday Silence, whose battle with Easy Goer remains one of the most legendary in Breeders' Cup history, and Arazi, whose performance in 1991 is perhaps the signature performance from any two-year-old anywhere in the world in the history of horse racing. Valenzuela is back at Santa Anita riding work. He has had an extraordinarily troubled and storied life and career subsequent to his great successes in the saddle. He was suspended no fewer than eight times during the 1990s and then his troubles continued into the noughties with addiction issues and brushes with the law. But he was back, he was at Clocker's Corner and he took some time out to talk to me after riding work. And I began by asking him in 2023, how is life finding P-Val? Well, in 2023, things are pretty darn good. You know, I'm getting on horses every day to Santa Anita. I'm hopefully, hopefully, by the grace of the good Lord, hopefully going to make a comeback one last time, do a cameo. And, no, come on. Oh, I've got you. Are bro, you bro. really? I'm trying to, so we'll see. I mean, I'm, I, only God knows what's going to happen, you know. I mean, I'm doing the best I can on a daily basis, getting on anywhere from five to seven horses and uh, just working my, my little butt off and uh, trying to lose weight and get to the point where I'm physically fit enough to ride a race. So when was the last time you rode in a, in a race? Probably 2016. I um, I uh, tore my ACL in uh, New Orleans in a race. A horse stumbled after the race. Um, I, um, I kept him up, fortunately for me, but I did tear my ACL that day uh, trying to keep him up. Came back to the Joshua and was in a lot of pain and uh, went down to Tulane University and had my ACL replaced. And it didn't, it didn't go very well after that. I mean, it didn't take too well with my leg. I don't know what it was, but uh, I've been in a lot of pain ever since, and I haven't ridden since. But I had a knee operation in May of this year, a knee replacement, and I feel really good. If I said to you, P-Val, that you're someone who does things that we find difficult very easily, but sometimes finds the stuff that we find easy difficult, would that be a, would that be a fair assessment of the way things might have gone over the last couple of decades? I, I think you'd be absolutely correct on that. I mean, uh, I find uh, sometimes I can sabotage my own life, and that was at a younger age, and I've grown up quite a bit since then, and um, I've learned that uh, life is, um, is what you make of it, and um, I just thank God for my family today. I have six grandchildren now, and I have four beautiful daughters. I'm just very blessed to have uh, my career getting on horses every day, and um, if God blesses it with... Uh, a couple years more of riding, that would be amazing. And you, to take a look at a guy like Mike Smith, uh, it's very rude to ask how old you are, but how, how old are you now? I'm about two years older than Mike Smith. So you're kind I'm of... 61, I just turned 61 on October 17th of this year, and um, I'll be uh, set up for, um, for Social Security next year. <laughs> Six, 61, the great Patrick Valenzuela, and he still wants to make a comeback. It, I will you, make a comeback. No, I want no, to, I will. No wonder Frankie Dettori still feels so young. If he's yeah, got right. you, you and Smith, like, he's got years on the pair of you. Well, you know, uh, uh, Frankie Dettori, he, um, he was Gallup boy for Charlie out here when I was riding Sunday Silence. And uh, Frankie turned into a great athlete, great, great horseman and great jockey, you know. I mean, and Mikey, Mikey, uh, Mike's first agent was my dad in New Mexico. He lived with my brother JR in New Mexico, and he grew up there uh, riding horses in New Mexico. And uh, uh, my father and my whole family know Mikey since he was about 14 years old. Yeah. Um, 
Tell me a little bit about um, those those early days here. You, you mentioned Sunday Silence, so a horse that wasn't just a horse that made a big impact here, but is now a, a breed shaper in oh, Japan yes, and across yes. the world. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I was blessed to ride one of the best sires that ever lived. Not only the best sires, but racehorses as well. I mean, just look at that Preakness in 99. I mean, that was a horse belt that uh, I think everybody in the world watched that day and had their... Their, their, their butts at the edge of their seat just or yelling and screaming in the stands. I mean, it was just a race that um, if I could recreate, um, I couldn't have done it any better. I mean, uh, from, uh, I mean, coming back to, to uh, Santa Anita a couple of days later, I remember being on a horse in the morning and Willard Proctor was uh, taking me to the to the track to work the horse, and Charlie Whittenham was walking next to us, and he goes, he goes, he says, Charlie, he goes, yeah, what's up, Proc? He goes, um, do you think Pat Day dropped his Bible at the half mile pole? <laughs> Pat, and, Pat Day being a famous, yeah, famously God-fearing man. Yes, yes. And, and Charlie says, I think he did. <laughs> I mean, no harm to, to Pat. He's a great friend of mine, a great Christian, and a great man. And, you know, it's just he was trying to win, and I was trying to win. And, you know, once I got squeezed a little bit, I, I came around and got right next to Pat, didn't give him an inch throughout the stretch and uh, as you saw Pat angled his horse's head out at the 16th pole trying to create some kind of infraction but it never happened and you know we just rode a very smart race and was very blessed to come up on the top side of that I just want to spend a little time talking about Arazi 1991 at Churchill Downs and that wild move and the the, the shock in Tom Durkin's voice as he called you and wow. the way you, you drew clear Francois Boutin trained the horse of course at the time for, for Alan Paulson um, what did you think going into the race did you think did you think you were on something special? I watched his videos with Mr. Paulson. As a matter of fact, I'll take you back about a month prior to the race. Alan took me to his house in Hobie Hills and said, I want you to watch the replay of this horse. I'm going to put you on in the Breeders' Cup. So I watch, was watching it. Well, first of all, I get to his house, okay? And it's a big house, and it's in Hobie Hills, of course. And uh, the, the dining room is probably about 100 feet by 50 feet. And uh, he's got maids, and he's got this big, long dinner table. And I'm sitting in the middle of this long probably dinner table for 20 people he's at one end madeline's at the other end my agent's on the other side of the table and we're sitting there and uh craig good seeing you good so um madeline's there and um and uh the maids are serving us dinner so um after dinner we move over to the living room which is just as big as the dining room and uh i'm looking around for television because i'm going to watch the rosie's replays and I go, Alan, um, where's your TV? He goes, well, let me get it. So he grabs the remote, pushes the button, and down comes this big old screen, uh, projection TV. And um, and I go, wow, that's a nice TV. He goes, Patrick, if you win on a Razzie, I'll get you a TV just like this. <laughs> but the TV was too damn big to put in my house, so he bought me the next best thing. He went out himself, picked out a picture tube, the best picture tube, RCA picture tube TV you could get and, and had it delivered to my house well, but getting are. up to that race that's that's what created the the whole beginning of the Rossi story and um, watching the, the videos on his TV that day and watching how the horse ran how he, he had a sudden burst of energy the last quarter mile and how he ran ran his foes down and, and ran by him so easy it was just amazing so I knew that best, my best horse, feel you ever had off a horse off a juvenile well I'm getting to that I'm getting to that right now but um Coming up to Breeders' Cup, we come back to Kentucky. I had to work him a half mile before the race. Francois Bouton explained to uh, Lucy Minette, who was his wife and his interpreter, said, uh, Francois said, go half mile with him and just go like an easy half, you know, maintenance work. So I get on the horse, I start jogging and bam, he wheels on me. Remember, he drops me at the 5 pole. 
So I'm like, oh my God, I'm in, I'm on the ground. Tried to get up and catch him, he drinks off. Outrider catches him, they throw me back on. So um, I end up working him a half mile in about 48, worked decent. Didn't really impress me in the work, but, but did it easy, right? So then um, come race day, right? So um, I've got all these factors to include into the race. Into the race, I have to include that um, we're going counterclockwise for the first time in his life. We're going in the dirt first time in his life. We're going on an oval racetrack first time in his life. And what's he going to do when the dirt hits him in the face? So here I have the, have the outside post, the 14 post. I'm in the paddock. I, I meet uh, uh, Sheikh Mohammed Al Maktoum, Mr. Paulson, and Mr. Bhutan in the paddock. We're talking about the race, giving me strategy. He said, just give him to relax and, and give him to finish. He's seen his replays. So I agreed that that's, that's where we're going to ride the horse. So um, so I'm thinking to myself, I go, I got to save ground. You know, we just, this uh, first turn is going to come off awfully quick. We got maybe an eighth of a mile before we get to that first turn. So um, I'm thinking I'm on the outside. I'm going to have to get him relaxed, give him a good position where I could just fall into the first turn. And lo and behold, he broke with the field, relaxed, got him relaxed. I got him right down to the rail where I wanted to be, where I couldn't, you know, the, the deer's kind of shooting out a little bit. He's not really on top of the rail at that point because you're going into the turn. So he's running into it nice. He's relaxed. He's relaxed. Going to the 7-8th pole, he's relaxed. I'm last, second to last. I'm going that first turn. I'm watching in front of me. I'm seeing Petrano's on the lead, and I'm sitting back there. All of a sudden, we're getting up to the three-quarter pole, and I'm like 10 lengths behind Petrano. I'm like, wow, I'm kind of dropping back. The horse is relaxed. I mean, he's like in a high gallop, okay? So he switches to his right lead about the five and a half, and um, I look at the five-eighths pole, I'm like now probably 17 lengths behind Petrano. I said, I gotta get this horse into this race. He's just running well too easy. So I go like this, I go, and man, <laughs> I felt like I was playing pole position in a car, you know, the pole position yeah. video game. All of a sudden, I went from second to the last by 17 lengths, and I'm running by every horse. I mean, it's like I'm, the horses are going back like they're tied to a pole. And I'm going, I'm from the 5H pole to the 3H pole is a quarter mile. But Toronto's on the lead, all of a sudden, I'm from second to last to second. Now, you had to think that I ran that quarter mile in at least 22 and change. There's no doubt in my mind. He ran that quarter mile in 22 and change. Now, I'm getting to the 3 h pole. And passing the 3 h pole, I'm laying second. I'm coming up to Bertrando. Alex Solis is on the lead. He looks over his right shoulder, left right shoulder, and takes like a double, double take. Because I'm skiing. I'm skiing. I'm still like... I'm thinking I'm gonna wake up in my hotel room and this can't be real. Cause no horse in my life has ever given me that feeling ever. So now I'm at the passing the 3 8 pole with the 5 pole. And I think as soon as I let this horse run, he's done. Because cause I thought he already ran his watch. I thought he already blew his, blew his, I, I thought he was done. I said, there's no way this horse could make a 5 8 of a mile run like this. So at the core pole, I throw it across and I smooch and he takes off again. Now, now I'm, I'm like three in front and drawing away. And I can't believe it. On the left lead, never switches his right lead. He's on his left lead coming down the stretch. He's a little wide, but he's running. And I'm not going to change that. As long as he's running, I'm not going to change whatever he's doing, right? And the rest is history. So I'm like 10 lengths in front now, looking back for some competition. Bertrando's like, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's like trying to swim out there, getting to me. And he can't even keep up. And um, it was like, how far am I going to win by? And I, I took a, a good hold of him to just kind of ease him down to the wire not really no I just I knew I had so much horse so I just like 
I was winning it easy. So I, I just cruised with the wire. And after the race, you see me pump my arm. And I look at John Veach at the 7 8 pole. And I say, this horse will win the next year's Kentucky Derby. And I honestly thought that. That didn't happen, but what it gave you was one of the all-time great moments in horse racing history. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. And you heard it here first, 61 years old. He's making a comeback, Patrick Valenzuela. All God the bless you guys and, and everybody out there. Save some money to make some money. Patrick Valenzuela. If there's a man who's had a, a more extraordinary, eventful and, and topsy-turvy career in this sport, then I think you'll struggle to find him. And I, I was really desperate to talk to him. Uh, he's back. He's clean at the moment. He's 61 and he wants to make a comeback to the saddle, David Yates. I was going to say what a career he's had, but what a life uh, Pat Valenzuela has had. I'm not surprised that you were desperate to talk to him. Um, even I know that he's called P-Val. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the ride that sticks in many of our minds for those of us on this side of um, the Atlantic was that uh, winning one aboard uh, Arazi at the Breeders' Cup. But of course, there have been so many others, so many high points, but also so many low points um, that he's endured. We know that uh, he's been plagued by uh, dependency issues over the last few decades. Now 61, he just turned uh, 61 last week. Um, that puts Frankie de Tori into some perspective, as you were saying, Um Last time he rode, as he mentioned, there was at New Orleans in 2016. But with that knee replacement in May this year, he's ready to go again, is the grandfather of six. Um, it seems like he's in a good place at the moment, Nick. Uh, and, well, to for, for jockeys to ride on or to come back in their 60s is certainly something. But what a, uh, what a, a, a storied life and career Pat Valenzuela has had. Is there one more chapter to be written? Well, we'll see. But if there is, it certainly will be uh, very entertaining and worth watching. And uh, we we wish him well. Uh, talking of the fairgrounds, New Orleans, David, am I right in thinking that Irish jockey, British-based for many years, Ben Curtis, is is heading out there for the winter? Yes, he is indeed. Yeah, um, he, uh, he had that scare, of course, on Battle Cry, uh, who reared over in the stalls uh, for the Futurity at, at Doncaster on Saturday. But yeah, he is indeed. He's. Um, I, I spoke to Ben Curtis about this. He's. Uh, he has a, a grandfather uh, in America whom he is very keen to see. He's in his 90s. He's got two young kids, and uh, this is Ben Curtis, not the, not the grandfather. Um, he said it's just the right time that he can go out to uh, ride at fairgrounds in New Orleans for, for three months, uh, the, the, the meeting there, he said that he's likely to come back the 20th of March. So he's going to uh, return for the, the start of the, the turf season in 2024 at Donkster, but um, he'll be based in uh, New Orleans for the, for the first three months. And it certainly sounds like an exciting venture. Frankie Dettori, not the only British based jockey to uh, seek his fortune in uh, the Americas in 2024. All right. Well, you'll be familiar by now here in California that we've been keeping up with the exploits of Live In The Dream, the Nunthorpe winner who came to Keeneland, ran a great race over five and a half furlongs. And Steve DeLimos, his joint owner with his wife, Jolene, has been a, a regular correspondent and I couldn't leave him alone yesterday and ask him how the horse was, was getting on. 
Um, first of all, as you're doing the draw, can you pull us out three, please? <laughs> we would like number three in the draw. <laughs> but, yeah, joking aside, um, no, he was, uh, his sectionals in Keeneland, I thought, were absolutely fantastic. I think it was 20.4 for the first quarter, um, which proved that he can mix it with the guys over here. I think Saturday is going to be... Um, ridiculously quick um, there's two or three of the American sprinters who, are, who I think they can yeah it, yeah. It, and, and the, the thing about Saturday it's unusual because the classic is being run early you're after the classic which means your nerves are going to be absolutely shredded by that time of the afternoon well at the moment there are no nerves it's just pure unadulterated excitement it, it, it's just incredible the whole thing here at Santa Anita is amazing um, tomorrow morning um, Sean Coran arrives later today he's going to ride um, his last uh, piece of serious work um, on the dirt track tomorrow morning and fortune favours the brave you've come to America it's gone great at Keeneland you're here and I, I think there's so many people rooting for you I want to ask you a little bit about Adam West because he is unconventional um, but clearly extremely able at what he's doing and it seems to me that in terms of preparedness there wouldn't be many more trainers who'd have been on the front foot like he's been. No, he's been um, brilliant. Uh, Actually, I'm glad you mentioned Adam because um, I just want to say one thing. We, We had a runner the other day at Wolverhampton and it was a first-time out horse. Uh, Adam drove the box there, washed him down, saddled him, led him up. He raced, and then Adam did all the reverse again and took him home, all on his own. You know, it, it, the fact that he's won a Group 1, um, nothing's changed. He's just a complete and absolute horseman, and he just loves every part of what he does and uh, you know long may he not change because um, he he does a lot of things right he's prepped for this he, he said to us look we, we'll go to Keeneland it'll be a tough race it's five and a half furlongs it doesn't favour all our strengths but we'll learn lots from it and I think we did learn a lot from it and I think Fred and Sean would both have learned from that experience as well it could be a glorious con- well, conclusion to the turf racing on, on Saturday remember classic then the turf sprint then the sprint um, rounds off the rounds off the card. Steve, best of luck. Great to see you again. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Well, a week from now, I and you listening to me will be in Melbourne for the Melbourne Cup. Fly out of here ten forty straight after the Breeders' Cup and arrive Monday morning. Very much looking forward to that. The weather forecast looks a good bit better than it did last year. Already in situ, of course, is J. A. McGrath. You'll have heard him yesterday with Winford Engelbeck Breskus, and the day before that, talking to Blake Shin. Um, Today, uh, Jim has a a very special guest with him. I'll let him pick up the story. Nick, the Melbourne Cup build-up has started. An official launch at Flemington Racecourse this morning out in the sun-drenched mounting yard. That's the paddock to those listening to this in Britain and Ireland. Plenty of racing celebrities, including Gay Waterhouse and multiple champion jockey Damien Oliver, who's preparing to ride in his last Melbourne Cup. Damien retires later in the year, and he assures me he's not going to do a Frankie. He's calling it a day, for real. 
Unfortunately, his last cup ride is the 100-1 outsider Alan Kerr, the ex-William Haggis winner of the Tattersall's Gold Cup and Sandown Classic Trial. Unfortunately, Alan Kerr hasn't got near them in Australia, though his trainer here, Mike Moroni, took some encouragement from his ninth in the Mooney Valley Gold Cup last Friday. He was beaten just over three lengths. Talking of 101 Outsiders, the celebrity I wanted to catch up with was Michelle Payne, who shocked the racing world when winning the 2015 Melbourne Cup on Longshot Prince of Penzance. Michelle is now 38. She's been race riding for 20 years, and she's another who is talking about imminent retirement. She's doing TV work at the Cup next week, much as she would prefer to be donning the silks for another ride in the big race. When Michelle Payne won the Cup, it was national velvet all over again, Aussie style. It was making headlines then, and they're still talking about it down here now. And I thought it might be a chance to hear what she thinks about Holly Doyle having her first crack at the Cup. Holly will be aboard the 25 to 1 chance future history for trainers Kieran Ma and Dave Eustace. How did winning the Melbourne Cup change your life? Well, look, in every way I could imagine, to be recognised down the street um, every day, uh, to have a film made about me, written a book, um, you know, I guess it's just being recognised um, a lot more than I could have ever imagined. Um, but I think it was just, yeah, for me, an achievement of a dream that I'd had since I was a little girl. And it was eight years ago. Do you think about that day? How often would you think about that day? And how often would you think about the race itself? Uh, oh, just every so often. Um, something will come up and even sometimes I might see a replay and it just brings you back into that day and that moment. Um, because it was so hectic and crazy afterwards, I didn't really get too much time to sit down and um, recap over it like in the days after. So um, it's funny to think back and to just, you know, be blown away by what happened. And um, I think one thing that is so funny, I could take you through every step of the race because I was so in the zone and so focused. Um, it's like embedded in my memory of, of you know, being in the, in the moment. And there was a hairy moment, wasn't there, when, when Frankie de Tori, I think, was was he trying to angle to get out and you, you sort of basically didn't close the door entirely, but, but he, he couldn't get out, could he? No, so he was behind me, so I didn't know that was going on, but basically you're just trying to keep your position tight so you don't want to be leaving any gaps for people to get through and to beat you. And, um, yeah, he had to come back around Prince of Penzance and um, in doing so um, caused a little bit of interference to some other runners. So, um, yeah, that was all going on behind me. And me and Prince were off and gone and, uh, yeah, luckily the luck fell our way and it all worked out beautifully. And you mentioned the movie, Ride Like a Girl. Uh, did you like the movie? I thought it was great, yeah. I thought um, I had an open mind going into the film to just enjoy it. Um, it's very hard to make it you know, a replica of your life and um, I just thought they did a great job and it was great to see Stevie, my brother up there. He, um, he probably made it for me because to see him acting as in, the, in the film as himself was very special. Well, he was actually a star, wasn't he? He, he was. was. He was equal, equal Billy. He was, yes. Um, and... You're riding in races still today. You still you still got a license. How long is that going to go? Because I know you've also got a trainer's license. Yeah, so I'm hoping to ride till the end of the season, which is mid year next year, so to the end of July, and then um, look to hang up the boots and um, 
you know, look to other avenues. It's definitely, we'll still be training, but um, I'm loving doing the commentating work. And um, yeah, you're doing Channel Ten, aren't you? So you're doing a full, full uh, every day of the carnival. You're doing it. Yeah, yeah. So it's fantastic to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm trying to just juggle it all and um, coming to the point where the riding's going to um, come to an end. But it's been, you know, it's been a long career, and I've loved it. And um, yeah. So you'll never ride in the Melbourne Cup again. I wouldn't think so, but um, yeah, you just have to stay relaxed about these things. Now, from a European perspective and from a UK perspective, Holly Doyle is coming out here to ride. Uh, now, she's the first European female jockey to ride in the Melbourne Cup. Do you have any advice for her? Uh, I think basically you've just got to treat it as another race. Um, you have to not let the occasion get to you, which she's ridden at Ascot and all of those places, so she knows how to handle the big occasions. Um, it's pretty fast moving, you know, everybody's jostling for a position pretty quickly, even though we have all of the straight to get your position. Um, it, it's, uh, you've got to be, you know, have your wits about you. It's a little bit different to um, European racing where it, it happens a bit more, probably just they, ra they race a little bit, um, not as tight as us. Um, with the big, big open tracks that you have over there. Um, but I'm sure she's going to adapt beautifully. She's ridden around the world and she's a champion, so she'll, she'll be definitely um, able to adapt. Now in your role, you're doing so well on, on Channel 10. Everyone's uh, giving you accolades everywhere. Um, do you have a fancy for the Melbourne Cup this year? What's your tip? Um, are we seeing Vauban coming out here? Yeah, he was my tip. I was I was very blown away by him watching him at Royal Ascot when I was over there and um, just think he's... Willie Mullins has been trying for so many years and I was so hoping that Frankie was going to be able to ride and that would have been the icing on the cake. But he's my tip, but um, it is a very open cup as it always is. All right, thanks to Michelle Payne and to J.A. McGrath down under. Uh, David Yates is still with me. David has a tip for you. 424 race at Catterick Bridge this afternoon. Number four, LDR cashed in on a falling mark to score at Ripon at the start of September, then followed up over this course and distance 18 days later. Is still on a decent mark here, proven on soft ground. I hope we'll cope with the heavy terrain here and rattle up the hat trick. 424 race at Catterick Bridge, section number four, LDR. David, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was the Halloween podcast for the 31st of October. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.